0: Amen. Uh, So grateful uh, that I get this opportunity. Almost every week I get to do this. Uh, It's my job uh, in part, among other things, to study the Word of God and then be able to stand behind the pulpit uh, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, helping us to see God more clearly as we open up His Word. And I am so thankful uh, for the opportunity. I'm thankful that I'm not the only one in the church teaching, right? Uh, that just earlier in Sunday school, all sorts of different teachers in Awana, every Wednesday night teaching taking place, youth group, Bibles, all sorts of different times where, where we're teaching one another. That's what we're supposed to do. And I'm so grateful uh, for the many who are doing that work. And I hope that, that this period of time of teaching would be useful for us uh, to teach, to reproof, to correct, to train us in righteousness to equip us for all the work that God has called us to do. Uh, So if you have a Bible with you, open up to the book of Acts. We have made it now to chapter 15. Uh, We're more than halfway through the book. Turn to uh, Acts 15. Today we're going to look at verses 1 to 21. And uh, as you turn there, maybe uh, some of you are the kind of person that really looks forward to a good debate uh, that you don't mind arguing, whether it's arguing that your team is the best. Maybe you like getting engaged in political debates of various sorts, trying to persuade others of your perspective and show them how they're wrong. Uh, Maybe you love to debate theological matters like Calvinism or Arminianism or defending your own end times theology. Or maybe you have more important debates, like debating how the dishwasher is supposed to be loaded in your house, right? Um, All sorts of things that we debate, and some of you just have a personality, we're like, hey, there's an argument I want in, right? That's just your personality. It can be easy to get involved, we need to guard ourselves, if you're like that, and I can be one of those people, there's this word that shows up four times in the book of Proverbs. And two times in the New Testament, it is the word quarrelsome. And we're warned not to be quarrelsome people. People always looking for an argument or debate to engage in. Actually, both of the times it shows up in the New Testament is when, Tim- when Paul is writing to Timothy. Telling him, as you select leaders in churches, if you're trying to decide who should be in leadership positions in the church, one of the qualifications is they not be quarrelsome not quick to jump into any and every debatable, controversial kind of issue. So we don't want to be quarrelsome, but we also don't want to be passive. It's true, isn't it, that there's some debates that are important enough that we need to engage in them, especially if you're in a position of leadership. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've seen the gospel, Spreading from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, now to the ends of the earth. But while the gospel has been spreading, there's also something else that's been spreading. It's a debate that also started in Jerusalem. And the debate has now reached to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, we have seen Paul and Barnabas just completing their first missionary journey. And before the second one starts... They're getting pulled into a debate. The question is, should they engage? Is this important? Should they engage? Or do they just say, no, listen, you guys figure that out. We've got more important stuff to do. And they start mission trip number two. What are we going to see? I think I'm grateful uh, that they recognized as leaders in the church, along with others, that this debate is an important one. It's a necessary one. It's a good debate to have. And so, today we're going to look at chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Uh, Right now, we're going to get through the whole thing, verses 1 through 21 in the message. Right now, I'm just going to read the first six verses, as you stand if you're able, and then we read the very Word of God. Oh, Father... um, We don't first and foremost want to uh, debate as we come together and as we come and sit under your word. We first and foremost want to delight in who you are. Thank you for helping us do that through prayer and through song so far. I pray that we would even do that as we look at the content of an important debate here in Acts 15. I just thank you for your faithfulness. You, Jesus, said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we're thankful for that promise. We're thankful that you have continued to fulfill that even in our day. And I pray that you would be building up your church now under the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear God's word, Acts 15, 1 through 6. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Amen. You can be seated. So, the part I just read there was the part where the debate is kind of set. We're, we're setting the stage for the content of the debate that we're going to look at in verses 7 through 18. Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey took almost two years most likely. The year is, is about 48 A.D. now. The gospel is spreading, a debate is spreading, and it begins with this, the quote from Verse 1 from the men who had come down from Judea and were teaching, teaching the brothers, what they were teaching was this unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So keep in mind, as we've been walking through this book, the majority of the people that have been saved recently are Gentiles, right? God has opened this door of ministry, and all of a sudden, many of the people being converted are Gentiles, which just means not Jewish people. Right? So all of these non-Jewish people are being saved and they have not gone through the same type of life that the Jewish people have gone through prior to their salvation. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that God has made a covenant with His people and the sign of that covenant was this sign of circumcision. So something done to a body to, to give a sign or a physical reminder of the covenant that God has with his people. Circumcision would distinguish people as the people of the one true God. So it's not really all that surprising that some people from Judea who had been a part of this people would come and teach the Gentiles that if you really want to be a part of the people of God, right, I hear God's doing some stuff, but if you want to be a part of the people of God, here's what we've always done you need to be circumcised. If you want to be a part of the people of God, you need to be circumcised. That's the message. Now, what do Paul and Barnabas think about this? Remember, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch in Syria. That's where they started and ended their missionary journey. They're there, and it's people from Judea who have come up to them in that spot. Now, do they say, Oh yeah, we forgot to mention that when we were preaching the gospel. We forgot to mention that you're supposed to also be circumcised if you want to be a part of the people of God. That's not what they do. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, After Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. So no small dissension and debate means they had a big debate. Okay, It was a big argument. They didn't just kind of let that one slide. Like, oh, we're just going to agree to disagree on that. That's not their their point. No, they had no small dissension and debate with them. To the point that they recognize, okay, this is a bigger issue. It's not just a couple guys with this unique perspective. This is a a, a teaching that has been spreading out from Jerusalem, and we need to go back to Jerusalem, uh, to the center of things, and get this figured out. This is an important debate. And so that's what happens in the rest of verse 2, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and the elders about this question. And I love how as Paul and Barnabas travel, they cannot help but just proclaim, here's what God is doing. So so they're traveling, and as they're traveling, they're given mission trip reports, right? Verse 3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Interesting, isn't it, that as they go through Samaria and they're sharing the good news that God is saving these Gentiles, the Gentiles that most of the Jews had grown up kind of setting aside, they're even called dogs in many cases, they're not fit to be a part of the people of God, Yet now some of them are being saved. And so as Paul and Barnabas share this good news in Samaria, I don't find it all that surprising that the Samaritans there would be excited about this. Because, see, these people had kind of been seen as like in between Jew and Gentile. And don't you think that it's true that often the people who have felt ostracized before, the people who have been left out, Aren't they usually really good at making sure other people feel included? You notice that? That that often people who have felt the sting of feeling like I'm an outsider and they don't want me, that they are the first people to recognize other people who feel like that and welcome them in. So so they hear the news that Gentiles are being saved, and they're not saying, oh, well, they follow. They're just like, oh, they're rejoicing, right? And then we get to verse 4. And they make it to Jerusalem. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them, right? So they hadn't been able to you know, get a hold of the local newspaper to find out yet. So they need a report of what did God do on that two-year mission trip to the ends of the earth that Paul and Barnabas took. And so they share, here's what God's done. And they were welcomed. But then the debate rises again. This is what they came for. Verse 5. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up. Remember, Paul was a member of the party of the Pharisees. He used to be one of them. But they rose up and they said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. It's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Moses, not only do they need to be circumcised, they need to obey the law. A a conversion to Judaism kind of is required before a conversion to Christianity, basically, right? Now, this is a debate worth having. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, as they should have been, right? This was not something to just say, let's just sweep it under the rug and agree to disagree. No, we need to talk about this. And so the apostles and the elders gather together. Verse 7, here's point number 2. Point number 2, now we're going to get to the testimony. That was the debate kind of getting set up. Here's the testimony. We're going to hear the testimony in the midst of the debate. And we're going to hear from two of the most prominent characters in the book of Acts. The kind of main character in the first part of the book was Peter. And in the second part of the book, Paul. They're both going to be talking here, as well as kind of the new leader in the church there in Jerusalem, a man named James. Okay? So let's go ahead and first look at what Peter had to say. We haven't heard from Peter for a while, since back in chapter 11 or 12. But now, Peter's going to speak up at this council. It says in verse 7, and after there had been much debate, so, so people kind of arguing back and forth, they have their different viewpoints, Peter stood up. I don't know how much authority he still seemed to have, but at one point he was looked to as the leader of the church. So he stands up and he says to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember when we read that back in chapters 10 and 11? He's reminding them of that. You remember that, Cornelius? God-fearing Gentile man, and God's plan was for the Gentiles through my mouth to hear the gospel and believe. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. See, see what had always happened was the Jews and Gentiles had recognized a sharp distinction between them. There's the Jews and there's the Gentiles, right? And there's this sharp distinction. But Peter's experience is, I preached the gospel to the Gentiles and what happened? God didn't make a distinction. He saved them just like He saved us. Their hearts were cleansed by faith. The Holy Spirit that God gave us, he didn't give them like a lesser version of the Holy Spirit or a different Holy Spirit. They got the exact same Holy Spirit that we got. The Gentiles. So, so it's not so much an us and them. It always used to be an us and them. It's not an us and them anymore. God's not making that distinction. This is Peter's testimony. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now look at verse 10. Now therefore... Why are you putting God to the test? He's looking at the Jews who are on the other side of the debate saying, You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law of Moses. He looks at them and he addresses them saying, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test? We're told in Deuteronomy 6.16, Don't put the Lord your God to the test. You're doing it, he says. How are they doing it? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Listen, he's telling them, you failed. Over and over again, our people have failed to obey the law. That yoke was too heavy for us. We could not bear it. And now, God is doing a work among the Gentiles. And instead of welcoming them in, you're saying, here, put this yoke on. You couldn't even handle the yoke. Right? So so, so the message is, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Like, God didn't save you because you tried really hard and you gave it your best shot. And that's not why he's saving Gentiles. You know why God's saving Gentiles and Jews? Because he's a gracious God. It has nothing to do with your performance. Peter wants to make sure they get that. And it is a message that must have hit home because look at what it says next in verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. It was like a mic drop speech for Peter. Right? He gets done. What else are you going to say? And so everybody who had been debating with one another is now silent. They're just trying to process this. And then I love... And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas filled the dead air with some more stories of what we saw God do among the Gentiles. It's like if you've sent your kid to camp before and they come back after a week of camp and it's just like anytime there's dead space they're going to tell you another story from camp that week, right? They're just so excited about it. Paul and Barnabas just on a two-year mission trip God saving Gentiles, it's quiet for a while. They're like, hey, I got another story. And they tell more about what God's been doing among the Gentiles. And then we're going to hear from a different voice. Verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied. Now, who is this James? We saw in chapter 12 that James, Jesus' disciple, whose name was James, he was executed. It's not that James. This is James, author of the book of James in the Bible. This is James, half-brother of Jesus. This is James who was once skeptical as a family member of Jesus that Jesus was the Messiah. Now obviously he believes and he has become a leader in the church there in Jerusalem. So when all the debate has been had and testimony has been given, it's, everybody's looking to James to be the one to say something. So what does James say? After they finished speaking, James replied, this is verse 13, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's another name for Peter, has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Okay, So he's using this terminology that was used in the Old Testament. God taking a people for his name. And he's saying, that's what God is doing among the Gentiles. Now, this would have been a hard pill for them to swallow. These who had recognized all the time, they're they're thinking, God's called us to be a people for his name, and the Gentiles are the ones who profane his name. Yet, God is calling from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And it's not just what Peter and Paul have experienced. He's going to kind of hit them between the eyes, because they're students of Scripture. And he's going to use their own scriptures. They know the prophets. He's going to use their own prophets. He's going to tell them this was God's plan all along. Look at verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. (laughs) So don't just think Peter and Paul are, are off the deep end somewhere. Open up your Bible. It's there. And he's only going to quote one prophet. He's going to quote the prophet Amos. But he says all the prophets agree, right? And with this, the words of the prophets, plural, agree. Just as it is written, here's the quote. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Wait, so God always had this plan? This isn't like a... Yes, that God would call to Himself Gentiles, a people for His name, called by His name, even the Gentiles. I'm grateful that Peter spoke up. I'm grateful that Paul and Barnabas spoke up. And I'm grateful that James had the heart to recognize, I need to say something here. God's plan all along had been for the full inclusion of the Gentiles and those who were wanting to put extra things in the way before they got there need to hear no. So let's pause here for a point of application before we kind of get to the verdict. Application point number one is just this. You two, them too. Okay? You two, them too. First of all, I want to acknowledge. See here, here's, where, here's the temptation. We read Scripture and we see people that are, like, wrong. Here, it's the people that, that are the Judaizers, right? The, the Jewish people who think you kind of have to become Jewish before you become a Christian. They're wrong. And so it's easy to kind of dismiss, well, I'm not like them. I'm never like the wrong person. I'm always the right guy. I'm always the, I'm always the one who's doing the good thing, right? I would have been totally with Paul and Barnabas and Peter. Like, I would have totally been on the right side of this debate. But, but let's pause for a second and just acknowledge that probably not, <laughs> right, that, that probably had we been raised in the Jewish faith, had we been gone through all of those, the, the, the rituals that they had done, celebrated all the festivals that they celebrated, known all the scriptures that they known, more than likely we can at least sympathize with the Judaizers here. We can understand this kind of, I would say, like a conservative impulse, right, this idea that, like, well, everything's changing so fast. I just, that's not the way we did it. We've we got to do it the way we've always done it, right? Uh, the Gentiles have always been, like, the dogs. i like, well, I'm not sure that they can just, like, take on the family name. I'm not sure, right? So, so there's this, like, how many of us are like that? We, we're kind of like a little more, this is the way we've always done it, right? I'm not sure, like, it's just changing too fast and is that... So, I get it. This is the way they had been brought up. This is the way they understood things. I get it for us. The world around us seems often wild and crazy. Things that were once considered wrong are now not just accepted, but celebrated. In some ways, a conservative impulse is a good thing. But we can take that far, so far that we kind of demand that people follow our rules and live just like us before we accept them as brothers and sisters. But is that who gets saved and how they get saved? Here's what we can't do. What we can't do is do what they were trying to do. And like add some blank in the middle of somebody unsaved coming to faith in Christ. They had basically kind of said, if you want to get from here to Jesus you need to kind of become Jewish first you need to go through circumcision you need to follow the law of Moses then you can get there you need to be like us and then you can be saved and that's a message that we cannot accept remember what Peter said but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will Peter said, by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Our memory verse for this week, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a result of works. This is a gift from God, right? So you, me, all of us, any of us, can be saved in only one way, by God's grace through faith. And so if you are an unsaved person here with us today, if you've heard the message that you need to get your life cleaned up a little bit before coming to Jesus, I'm sorry, that's not the message that we're supposed to be proclaiming. We're not supposed to say like, hey, you need to like, like our music and dress like us and behave like us and then God will accept you. No, our message is that you can be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, like today today right? Not before cleaning stuff up. We sang the song, I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. I think of the thief on the cross dying next to Jesus. He had, he had messed up his life in all sorts of ways, and Jesus didn't say, hey, you can be with me in paradise if you figure out a way to get down and do some things, fix some things, repair some relationships, start living right. No. Today you will be with me in paradise. There's not a step in between. And we need to be careful not to add a step. We can be saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not after we clean up a few things first. All right, let's move on to the verdict. The verdict, now this is still James speaking. Acknowledged as the leader, it seems, in the church. And he says this in verse 19, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. I think that the verdict is kind of in two parts, and that's part one. Part one is this, they don't have to be just like us. Here's the debate. The debate is they need to do what we've done. They need to be like we've been, and then they can be saved. And, and, And the verdict is no, stop troubling them. Stop making them run through your obstacles. Stop making them jump through your hoops. Stop making them do things just the way you've done them. That's not how it works. Don't trouble these Gentiles who are turning to God. And then part two is this. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations... Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So there's a message that needs to go out to the Gentiles too. The message to the Jews is, listen, they don't need to be just like us. And the message to the Gentiles is, listen, you don't have to be just like us, but you're also, now that you're saved, you're not going to live like you used to live. right? You don't have to live differently in order to be saved. But now that you've been saved, you're going to live differently. In particular, he points out two things. If you think of the way the Gentiles in that day would have normally lived, one sin that was very common among the Gentiles was the sin of sexual immorality. If you think like, I mean, you kind of just think of just the sexual morality of our nation at this time in history, that's very similar or even not quite as bad as it was among some of the Gentile pagan cultures in that day. The kinds of things they would do with their bodies and with one another were far from pleasing to God. And so the message is you don't have to get cleaned up before you get saved, but now that you've been saved, you're going to live differently. You're going to flee from sin that you once embraced. And there's other things that he says there. What's this stuff about abstaining from things polluted by idols and from what has been strangled and from blood? This would have been normal in their culture to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, to, you know, all of those different things. That would have been, you know, like a, a rare steak. That would have been fine for them, right? Why are they being asked not to do that anymore? Well, notice what it said in verse 21. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. The Gentiles, who are now being saved, continue to live amongst the Jewish people. And Jewish people have had these long-handed-down customs, and they're mistaken if they believe that you have to hold all of their customs in order to be saved. But they also have some roots and some heritage That Paul is trying to, or that James of the church here is trying to remind these new Gentile believers listen, be sensitive to the people you're living around. There's a whole bunch of Jews that still need to be saved. And if you're just kind of flaunting what it is that you're eating, and it's something that they see as totally unclean and that nobody should do this, then just don't eat it, right? Can we kind of make some concessions? in order to love our brothers who are jewish and in order to reach more jewish people are you willing to do that now that you've been now again it's not that you have to not eat those things in order to be saved but now that you've been saved and you're a part of this new family let's work on being sensitive to other people in the family giving up some of our personal freedoms and abstaining from things that in christ we have freedom to eat this kind of meat and that kind of stuff but hey if i'm going to be living and ministering to and and with other jewish people it'd be better for me not to do this right? So, so that's what the church determines. The kind of sin that you used to be engaged in, you need to walk away from that. And the kinds of things that you used to eat out of love for your new brothers and for people yet to be reached, stop it. Okay? So that's the message they decided. Now, they're actually going we're going to see like the content of the letter when we look at the passage next week, and you're always welcome to read it ahead of time. But the message is pretty clear. The Jewish believers need to be careful not to be putting unnecessary obstacles in the way of Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus. And the new believers who are Gentiles need to be sure they're not unnecessarily offending the Jewish people around them. They need to live in a sensitive, loving way. And they need to flee from former ways of living that are certainly not pleasing to God. So, just really quick application. This is our second application point. No unnecessary obstacles. There's a new way to live. So, so first and foremost, just I, they're going to be the same two points that I think the church was making here. One, let's not put up unnecessary obstacles for lost people to come to Christ. They don't have to be like us before they can be saved, right? They, they, they don't have to start listening to the music that you like to listen to and start wearing the clothes that you like to wear and talking in the language that you like to talk like they don't have to clean themselves up so let's not put unnecessary obstacles in the way for lost people to come to faith in Christ we need to proclaim the message loudly and clearly that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone but it's also a message that we need to share and that's the second point of this that if you have been saved, you are not to live like you used to live. Many of us would put ourselves in this category of people who have been saved. What's a couple of things that we can take from this passage? Well, the first one is, let's not live the way we used to live. As far as like sin that we used to just regularly accept and engage in, flee from that. The particular one in this passage, sexual immorality. So here's just a very blunt example. Do you have to quit your addiction to pornography or move out of your boyfriend's place in order to be saved? No. But once you're saved, should you move out of your boyfriend's place and stop using pornography? Yes. Right? That, that make it pretty clear and blunt. And also, be sensitive and use your freedom in Christ to serve those around you. Be sensitive to those around you, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and the unsaved people around you. What is something that might trip people up around you? It might become a stumbling block to them. We don't want them to stumble over ourselves. If they're going to stumble over something, we want to stumble them over Jesus, the rock of offense, right? And, and what are some things that I might need to abstain from? out of a sensitivity and love for other people. We'll talk more about that next week. You might talk about that in your life group a bit this week as well. But we'll talk about it more next week because, like I said, as we continue in chapter 15, we're going to get the content of the letter they decide to send out to the churches. But I'm grateful that they had this debate. This was a debate worth having. I'm grateful that this passage helps us to see that God saves all kinds of people, but He only saves them in one way. God doesn't just save one kind of people who live one kind of way. He saves all kinds of people who are living all kinds of different ways. But once they're saved and there's only one way to be saved, He calls them to live in a different kind of way. Let's pray. Father, I'm, I'm grateful that our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. I'm grateful that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, that this is a gift from you, not by our works, not by us getting ourselves cleaned up, not by works that none of us can boast. I'm grateful that we don't have to live in a certain way to be saved, but I'm grateful that your Holy Spirit comes to dwell. The same Holy Spirit in Jew and Gentile, in religious, non-religious, your Holy Spirit comes to dwell in all who are saved. And your Holy Spirit then empowers us to live in a different and new way. Would you help us as we take steps of obedience this week? I pray that those who are not yet saved would step out of darkness and into light. That they would move from death to life by receiving your grace and trusting in your Son as Lord and Savior. And help us to consider ways that we might be putting up unnecessary obstacles for others. We might love them enough to change the way that we live. and Father, I just thank you that our hope is not built on us getting our act together finally. But that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We don't trust really anything else. We can't trust anything else. And where we do trust something else, would you reveal that to us so that we might repent and turn from it And trust in Christ alone. In his name we pray. Amen.